But this is Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is God's Word, and let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we we do thank you for the option to be here together, brothers and sisters in Christ, the first day of the week with your Word open in our laps. Lord, we do thank you for the, the wonder of these things and ask that you'll open our eyes and ears and our heart, uh, that we would be good students sitting at your feet, the master teacher. But Lord, I also ask that you bless us uh, in, in our day-to-day lives, that the problems that we brought with us, the problems we'll face as we go uh, away from this place and back to our routine. Lord, we are frail creatures. We've already sung that we're made of dust. Lord, we ask that you somehow today would, would bring what we are into who you are uh, and that you would minister to us in perhaps a way that we didn't expect, uh, but that you would be sufficient. And um, we leave this in your hands. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if uh, you were to find yourself uh, perhaps overhearing a conversation between, let's say, two complete strangers. Maybe you're in a waiting room or an airplane or something like this. You can make this up. Um, but when we meet one another, we usually start and idle somewhere along the surface, talking about the weather or if there's a TV playing, maybe something that's on. Or maybe it's uh, maybe the first uh, words are, boy, I can't believe we've had to wait this long. Something like that, but just surface level. And if you continue to speak, maybe it gets a little more detailed. Uh, if if this, these are men that are talking, maybe uh, they ask one another, so what is it that you do? It has to do with their employment. Uh, if it's ladies, it might have to do with children or grandchildren. But it really doesn't get anywhere until the point to where maybe a question like, so where are you from? And you start to piece together that person's background. Uh, It's really impossible to understand someone unless you know where they come from. And I think Genesis is one of my favorite books in the Bible, but it often, except for little pieces here and there, gets passed over and say, I don't know, you sit through church for years perhaps. But to get to know God... Not from his beginning, he doesn't have one, he's always been. But to know God and our relationship to him by the way he started with us is quite uh, an insightful exercise. I hope uh, that it is that way for you. And uh, we began last week in the beginning, God created. That's the first five words of the first ten words in the Bible. We'll look at the other five today and then add verse two. But maybe it would be good to at least move through what we looked at last week, certainly in a condensed format. But we started off with those basic words, in the beginning, that would be our beginning, God created, uh, that he's the, he's the reason for all this. He's the first mover. And we talked, even uh, uh, we risked getting somewhat philosophical last week 
and went through the options that one has if they want to think their way through uh, how this world came to be. That'd be uh, a mental ride in a spaceship backward as far as one can go. And we talked about how surprisingly we only have but a few options philosophically. Either the world was created or it's always been. But those are your only two options. Uh, If there was a time where nothing was, remember this from last week? What would we have now? Nothing. Because you can never get something out of nothing. Shake a jar that's empty with nothing as long as you want. You'll never create something by shaking it or anything else. If there was nothing, that's exactly what we'd have now. So either the world was created from something that's always existed or it was created by something that was created by someone who created, and you can do this infinity, but you're going to back up against some wall at some point. Something has always been. Those are your two options. The Bible tells us that everything was created by a self-existent God. He's the first mover. He's the one that's always been. Then second, we looked at the difference between impersonal or personal. Uh, There's the idea that the world worked its way up from impersonal matter, non-living matter. At some point, there was a spark. Life began. And then from that point, life has become ever and ever more sophisticated to an intelligent, personal level, but started with impersonal stuff, where the Bible tells us the opposite. It started with a personal, self-existent God, an intelligent being, And he created all the way down to the immaterial, impersonal stuff that we're made out of. And when we die, we go back to that immaterial, impersonal, not immaterial, but impersonal material. Just the basics, the dust that we sing about. And you've only got those two options. It's one or the other. And then last, we looked at the difference between transcendent or imminent and how this is more modern and uh, pretty much Western thinking, but we want to take a cleaver and chop between the difference between what would be uh, transcendent, things that we might be able to think about, but they don't exist here. We can't get our hands on them, can't run them through computer models or test them in a lab. Uh, They're not there. They're somewhere out there, uh, but they're transcendent. And then the opposite of that would be imminent. That'd, that'd be things that are here, like, like this wood we can knock on, uh, sound we can hear. We can test those things. We can get our hands on those things. And since the West has started writing things about origins, we tend to put a creator or a first mover in one of those two categories, either He's transcendent, or it's transcendent, or they are transcendent, or she is transcendent, whatever you want to use. But we, we don't know where it or they live, can't drive to their address, can't communicate with them, can't really know them on a personal level because, again, they're somewhere out there. Or the other idea would be God or the first mover is imminent. It's everywhere. Uh, it's it's not just on uh, the dark side of the moon, but under your fingernails. So we stopped at the conclusion that a God in either of those categories doesn't really do us any good, one that we can't know or one that's everywhere, including us. Uh, so those are your philosophical 
options. And we ran through the fact that the Bible teaches us created by a self-existent God, a personal God creating everything down to impersonal matter, and then a God who is transcendent or imminent. No, the Bible would tell us he's both. That he was before we were, but then he came and spoke and talked to Adam and Eve in the garden. And then after sin entered the picture and estranged the relationship, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is God, in the flesh to actually not just be God but be man, his own creation, at the same time. Now, can you do that? Is that legal? Is that fair? Is it functional? Well, it's true that we can't be God anytime we want to or ever, even for once. We don't have that capacity. But there's nothing to say that God couldn't himself be his own creation if he wanted to. He can do that if he's been here forever and everything that exists is because of him. Now, I know there's big thoughts. Genesis is full of big thoughts. So that's where we left last week. Let's add the next five words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a description of what God created. What did he create? In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, from the Hebrew, this is not complicated at all. We have heavens and the earth in our translations. The, the Englishers who translated it from Greek, which was translated from Hebrew, seem to like heavens and the earth. It really, most woodenly, is just the sky and the land. Uh, look down, there's the land. Look up, there's the sky. Uh, but the way that it's written is designed to encapsulate everything that you would find on the land or in the sky. Now, we're not talking about the water, but that's implied as well. And there are many such things uh, in Genesis. We won't read far before we get to and morning and evening, which is a way of describing all the hours in a 24-hour cycle. Uh, so if you say morning and evening, and that was the first day, well, it's a way of uh, poetically describing all of it. Same as when we get to man and beast. It's a poetic way of saying not just humans, but all the way down to the creepy crawlies and the amoebas in the water. Uh, part of this is poetry. So when we say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it's not meant to be a scientific inclusive. It's meant to be an artistic inclusive. It's a way of saying all of it. And then the whole day he worked. And then uh, man and beast are all the living separated from all the non-living, so on and so forth. So that's the five words. There's much less to say about the second five words than the first five words. But we really get into it in verse 2, where verse 2 is set up as um, an elaboration on verse 1. Verse 1 is very simplistic. We start to add some details. So look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So um, we'll cut to the chase here, and then I'll try to take a stab at explaining why. But it's supposed to be clear that what is said in verse 2 describes something that's off, if not wrong. Uh, these are negative terms that we read here. Uh, th there's really no way uh, to describe them in a positive, at least not the way they're, they're given to us here. 
before God orders the universe, uh, we're told that the earth is formless. Now, that's the Hebrew word tohu. I know that's why you got up this morning to come to church and learn a new word. Tohu means formless and empty. And it sounds a lot like it. That's bohu. Tohu and bohu. Sounds like twins in some Star Wars episode that, you know, they're running out of names and stuff to talk about. Um, And then darkness permeates the description of an abyss. Darkness was over the face of the deep. So these terms are meant to carry an ominous and uncomfortable tone. Just think through it. Would you rather have form or without form? Well, it depends on what you're doing. If you want to paint something, you need a blank canvas, right? Well, this would be a formless canvas. What about void? Well, you know, some people make a big deal out of uh, minimalism, right? That it's very peaceful. It's great to be able to throw a bunch of stuff away and get away from the clutter. Uh, we purchased a, a new TV when we moved into the new house. And uh, it's one of these smart TVs. I think I liked them when they were dumber because uh, they've got too many functions and it decides what you want to see. When you turn it on, it's got channels that like program to come on so it's nothing but a menu. I like just the menu. I want to choose, but it chooses for me. And what's been on, I think, since we moved in is reruns of this tiny house stuff. And if you come in and out of the house, you're going to see all the stages of this. But my favorite stage, which is probably the most uncomfortable, is this guy telling these people, you've got these two totes and this is all you can keep. The rest you've got to throw away. And they're attached to this stuff. They they don't want to get rid of it. And there's usually fights over it and and things. And I'm just laughing. We all are the ones that wanted to live this minimalist lifestyle. You're more attached to the complications than you think. This is not minimalism. Nobody wants to live in a place that's without form, void, and completely dark. That sounds like a horror movie to me. And then you've got this face of the deep, this abyss, whatever, whatever it is. There's another thing we need to take care of here. You might have already thought about it, maybe not. But if you read much about this sort of thing and think much about it, it does come up. And rather than just acting like it didn't come up and not saying anything about it. Let's, let's just take a stab. But God created everything out of nothing, we're taught, right? But there certainly seems to be something he's working with. There is an abyss. It is dark. It's empty, and it's formless. But it is something. So somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there exists something other than the self-existent God. Now... Sorry for the inquiring mind that wants to know, but I have to say Genesis is not interested in answering that question. Where did we get the starter kit that's empty, empty, void, formless, and a dark abyss? We're not told. But that's not it. There's a lot of stuff Genesis is not going to tell us. It's not interested in telling us where that snake came from either. The, the snake, the deceiver, the one that got us all into this mess... Where did it come from? There's other places in Scripture to talk about this. We'll need the rest of our Bibles, not just Genesis. So there's going to be some things that are left out, and we're okay with that. They're, they're found in other places. Sometimes we'll address them as we go, sometimes in, in the interest of, of 
time, we will not. We'll come back to that type of thing later when we start talking about the snake. So um, in verse 2, we've got something, but there's no definition to it. Either in a spatial sense or a linguistic sense, you couldn't describe it in space or matter. You can't describe it in words. It's just this, I don't know, what do we call it? Nothing stands out from anything else. Nothing is foreground, nothing is background. This is a dark, cold, silent void. Nothing big or small, nothing left or right, up or down, before or after, good or bad, light or heavy, simple or complex, bright or dim. We could go on. It's just chaotic, empty, and dark, deep. That's what we've got. So I sat in a chair earlier this week and I thought, is it meant for us to just move on or is it meant for us to try to imagine what that would be like? It's hard enough to imagine the creative world as complex, diverse, and beautiful as it is. Try to contemplate the opposite of that. Um, I'll just let you into my brain. Sometimes it's a scary place. Good thing we can't read each other's brains, right? I thought of TV static for some reason. It popped into my brain. You know, it just goes... What do you call that? White noise? Well, actually, if you look real hard, it's like salt and pepper noise. There's black pieces and white pieces. Most people don't like that, but for some reason, those little machines that uh, we give each other when a baby's born, it's supposed to keep them, you know, it's got a rain button and a thunder button and like a subtle earthquake button. And it's got a TV static button, usually, white noise. Maybe it helps us sleep. But I don't know if that's, I, I could be satisfied with that for the rest of my life. I, I'd, I'd want the birds and the earthquake and maybe the traffic every now and then just so I know I'm not stranded on an island somewhere with just the sound of the rain. Um, and then for some reason I thought, TV static. No, that, that's still something rather than nothing. It does have a form, though it's void. And I don't think anybody liked TV static after they made that movie where the little girl was talking through it. Um, so that's a negative. We, we don't like that. Well, what about thinking of outer space? And again, you go back to movies or something, there's always somebody trying to get to another planet. This one's gone bad or something. And then there's meteors somewhere and it smashes the ship. So they got to put on the suit and go outside and fix the ship. And then lo and behold, one last asteroid comes by and chops the umbilical cord and now they're just floating in space and nothing to grab onto. Not, not even a hammer, you know, to throw in the opposite direction and try to get you a little momentum toward the ship, whatever. It's hopeless. There's nothing out there, not even air to breathe. Does that scare you? I think this verse is meant to scare us. Or uh, some of you will laugh at this. I did think of the great nothing from the never-ending story as well, which is a creepy movie that should only be used in uh, psychiatric evaluations and training purposes. Don't show that movie to your kids. I don't know why I enjoyed it when I was younger, but it's, it gets creepier the older I get. But the idea was this kid reads the book, and unless he has imagination enough, the story just crumbles. There's this great nothing that rips up, tears up, dissolves, pulverizes everything until there's like nothing left down to one grain of sand. This is not the only movie that talks about this stuff. And there's, there's something 
that go in all of those directions. Stamped on our consciousness is this fear of disorder, fear of breakdown, fear of loss of reference point. Uh, That is the horror movie industry. So I think what we've got here with these words, tohu and bohu, they're shorthand for the worst nightmares of social disintegration and the fear of its reality seems to be stuck in our consciousness. And then to add to the top of this, you've got darkness, which is also an evocative word in the Hebrew. And every time you see it in Scripture, it's always negative. It's always bad. Uh, It symbolizes the opposite of God, which is light. So darkness is indicative of everything that's anti-God, wicked, judgment, death. It's not good. So the clear idea, I think, from at least the first uh, two-thirds or so of verse 2, is that in the absence of all form, fullness, and light, there can be nothing good. We're not going to hear the word good until God starts to change it. Uh, That's next week. And God said, let there be light. At the end of that day of creation, he looked at this and he said, that's good. Other than what we see in verse 2. And then, if those first two-thirds, the first line, uh, tohu and bohu, and then darkness over the face of the deep or the abyss, you've got this beam of, of light We use that term, not literally. Light's not coming until the first day. But we read that God is there in that place none of us would ever want to be. Uh, That's not hospitable for anything, especially living thing or intelligence. You'd lose your intelligence in an environment like that. At least humans would. Solitary confinement is of the worst punishment we can think of to subject anyone to. But God is actually present here. Uh, The Spirit of God, or wind, or presence of God. Again, uh, that word in Hebrew could be uh, any of those three things. It could be breath, or wind, pneuma. Uh, It could also be uh, a type of hovering, or it could be His presence. So uh, any of those fit. I think all three of them sound reasonable. Uh, is this Spirit of God is said to be hovering over the darkened abyss. This orderless, lifeless mass of watery earth is under the care of the Spirit of God in Genesis 1-2. So the formless wasteland, hopelessness, and uh, I would add horrific, is now the stage for the life-giving, creative grandeur of Almighty God. So Tohu and Bohu are no match for the creative purposes of God's interests. So, there's your verse 1 and 2. Uh, straightforward, not as, uh, as, as, as huge, let's say, as the first five words. But what do we do with it? Um, we need to try to decide what to do. Again, I think it might be helpful to take the, the route we did last week uh, and to consider this not perhaps um, from our background as Christians, though it will be impossible to jettison that completely if that's the way you're brought up. Uh, But I think it helpful, and and if you're secure in your your understandings, how do they call that? There's a difference between uh, having a closed mind 
and knowing your mind. Knowing your mind means you're confident in what you know, but it's still open to learn something new. Where if it's closed, uh, you might not get a new idea in there with dynamite. Uh, it's good to walk in a room knowing who you, you are and what you think. Uh, but you can know at least the perspective of others, which, if anything else, might give you compassion for them or a sense in how you may be of help and vice versa. So from time to time, we're going to look at the other things other folks, other worldviews might say about these original concepts, our origins and how we back up. Some of this will be a little bit of what we touched on last week, maybe with a little bit more. But back to that question, who created God? Because that really probably is the the biggest stumbling block of all of it. A self-existent God who's always been is a little easier to swallow than a self-existent planet or universe that's always been. It's just been there. How did it get there? We really have a hard time trying to figure out how you get something from nothing, which is impossible. So it's even just slightly less of something to choke on to think that something's always been. What qualifies them to be self-existent? Uh, how did they get to be that way? Now, one thing people might want to tell you, scientists, uh, take your watch off, it'll be easier. We're stuck in thinking of time and space, beginning and end. This is a story we're reading here. We're reading in the beginning. You can go to the end and it has an end, how it all ends. But in the end, we're going to, along with the Lord, be not self-existent, but eternal, the same as He is. Just eternal forward instead of eternal forward and backward, as He is. Now, the question that comes up when you have, and let's just use the word that they would use of themselves, an atheist. Don't believe in a, a, a God at all. That, that There's some other means by which we explain our existence. They like to say to those that believe in a God, well, who created God? If God created the universe, who created him? And really, the problem is on both sides of that thinking. Because we have to swallow a self-existent God. They have to swallow, okay, if God's created, then who created that God? Who created that God? If there was a big bang, what exactly exploded because if you got nothing, there's nothing to bang. Uh, you've got to have a starter kit somehow, some way. If, if you're going to let your kid make something, you go to Walmart first and get them some construction paper or toilet paper tube or whatever you were throwing away, they get out of the trash, find the screwdriver, take it apart. You've got to have something. Well, it's the same whether you're an atheist or you believe the Bible. It has to start with something that's self-existent. So if we get to that part, uh, we do see the trouble, the problem in even those who are famous, uh, learned atheists. Uh, Stephen Hawking's probably, you know, the the most prominent. Uh, His book, The God Delusion, would be one of the most uh, famous. But... If he's saying that we are deluded by believing there is a God, um, 
He's not, I don't think, or wouldn't, and I wouldn't have been either totally honest with his idea, well, if there was a God, it was created by another God all the way backward. The self-existent part is the hard part. What would it have been like for his book and sales if he'd have just named it The Created God Delusion? Because it, it admits that that God had help. The idea that that God didn't need any help and were deluded by thinking something so ridiculous that there was a God who didn't need any help, it's just as ridiculous to think that there's an earth that's always been. If we're head is hurting and thinking backward that far, right? Um, So, and if you take it a step further, if we're deluded and we've created God ourselves, what does the Bible itself call something when a man creates it and calls it a God? An idol. Pretty much. So, in in a weird type of irony, uh, we seem to be banging our heads against the same wall in different ways. In such a way that I think that it takes greater faith to believe that there was, how was it? Formless, void, darkness over the face of the deep. And that's even what the others would say. Rewind the clock all the way back. You, You wind up with a big ball of dirt. Which takes more faith, that the big ball of dirt is self-existent or that an intelligent being who created the dirt is self-existent? Again, we're stuck with uh, you're going to have to choose which option. So the idea of uh, Hawking, just for extra credit, his purpose in the book is we don't need a God to create the universe because of gravity. The universe is quite capable of creating itself. Gravity pulls things together. That's how we got the big ball. Okay, where'd you get gravity? So we can both play this game. And it's not easy from either side. What about gravity? If you ask a kid in school, he's probably going to say that Isaac Newton wrote gravity. All right, if there's one thing that tends to turn... uh, Christians into atheists, it's despair. And despair sounds an awful like that place we read in Genesis 1-2. If there's one thing that tends to turn atheists into Christians, you can read it, look it up for yourself, but it is the intricacy and detail of the created order. The fine-tuning of the universe is what they would say. How did it happen that the sun is just far enough that it's not too hot, not too cold, and life can exist? Uh, As far as on a molecular level, how is it that the structures uh, bind together such that uh, it doesn't just fly all to pieces? Some of those answers we don't know. But it does work. And we can't understand it, so there's got to be somebody smarter than we are, is the idea. And certain scientists who try to get to the end of that rainbow, trying to find that pot of gold of wisdom, will admit they can't find the answers to the questions they're looking for, but it just seems to make better sense if somebody with a lot more of it is behind it than we are. Now, 
John Lennox, who's one of my favorite, uh, I guess you'd call him an apologist, but he's really a mathematician. To say that I think a lot of a mathematician is to say something, right? You, you remember, I had to pay good money to get my D in math. The only math I had to have in college to get to seminary. Numbers just don't work in my brain for some reason. But this guy is also um, involved in debates and has debated many of these, um, the, these newer atheists. And you can find this stuff all over YouTube. But he... Um, I've, I've been in uh, Nashville where he spoke, and he's, he's just a kind-hearted guy with, a, with an Irish accent that would look great in a Santa Claus costume. Uh, very positive, not at all combative. But from time to time, he'll have people ask him things after you know, the, the talk or the speech. And he says, it's just, it's like clockwork. You'll have these men come by and say, you just can't tell me you actually believe this stuff. How can you believe something you don't understand? And he says, that's his favorite question because he'll look right back at him and say, do you believe in consciousness? Well, of course I do. Do you understand it? Nobody does. But you believe that it's real? Absolutely. Is it hard for you to believe it's an accident? Sure. Okay, then you believe in something that you don't understand. Big deal. What about energy? He said if it's a physicist or a scientist. We don't know how energy works. Um, if, if something's hot, leave it alone. It'll balance out with uh, its environment, right? We call that uh, entropy, I believe. And, and it's, it's not... Um, it's really not conducive to the idea of things working their way up. It's really hard. Buy a new truck, park it in the yard, and just leave it there. I'd say not even for six months and expect it to crank like it did the day it was new. Leave it there for six years and the paint's starting to fade and crack and fall off. Leave it there for six millennia. You might not even find it. It'll just dissolve, right? Uh, leave a garden that looks beautiful. It'll grow up with weeds. Now, for weeds, that sounds constructive, doesn't it? But the order there uh, tends to balance out. Um, it's not impossible. Science says that it is statistically possible to take a deck of cards up 30,000 feet in a plane and throw them out, and they all land just the same way in order in that stack. It can happen. And there are weird things in science where sometimes heat actually moves towards something that's warm rather than something that's cold. But not often. Statistically, it doesn't. And statistically, those cards are going to be all over the place, right? So statistically, how, how do we find our way to order? Why wouldn't empty, void, and dark still be empty, void, and dark? That, that's the real question. Unless there's something that moves, something that starts it, a kickstart, a spark. Is it a lot of time or is it and God said? Those really are your options. So two things we can say about what we've studied today. And here they are for your... Uh, For your discussion, your thinking, 
Number one, he was there at our beginning, says the Bible. What did it say? The Spirit of God hovered over the darkness of the waters. Um, I don't know if that's comforting to you. Just take that with the second thing. We'll put them both together and think through them at the same time. Not only was he there at our beginning, he himself did not have one, so the Bible tells us, but he brought significance and meaning out of nothingness. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Vast improvements are going to take place next week when we meet and keep reading. But I thought, how how to ground this? What what can we tie it to uh, to make sense out of it? Have you ever thought about the similarities? And this is back to uh, thinking as a Christian with those who believe the Bible. The similarities between God's creative work and his redemptive work. Now, what we're studying is creative work. The redemptive work is sending his son to the earth, sinless, uh, to die in the place, uh, a substitutionary death. He's going to die. The judge and the executioner is the father, God, who said, if you sin against me, the life I gave you, I'll take back. Um, And he sends his son into the world to do that for us. So him dying in our place representatively gives us this... uh, grace on credit to where we can look like God's son. All our sins are washed away and we're back to the way we were in the garden when God said it was all good. Um, That is his redemptive work. He's taking something that's spiritually dead, void, um, without form, and dark, and breathing spiritual life back into it. Is it interesting that Genesis 1 sounds like John 1. In the beginning, this is John 1, was the Word, that's God. The Word was with God, so that's His Son who's with God. The Word was God, so the two of them are the same God. And we read that the Spirit was hovering over the water, so all three of them are there. That's another message. that We'll, we'll get to that shortly. Um, but He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 4, it switches over from creation to the redemption. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's opposite of darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the idea of uh, how welcoming verse 2 is a a vast expanse of nothingness without any form and dark nobody would want to be there I don't know how long it takes in a person's life Uh, the older you get I think you realize you're probably not a lot different than anyone else but when you're young everything is is bright it's new we're having a ball watching this almost one year old I mean one month old excuse me um turn to look at something that moves or listening to something. She's just having a royal fit out on the porch till the wind chimes started blowing the other day. And then she's just silent. Like, what is this? It's new. Uh, and then with, with what does she have in her brain to make sense of all this? It's, it's fascinating to go from this blank slate, as we sometimes call it, to uh, 
You know, before too long, she'll be explaining to me that math I can't understand. Um, but that's not where we live all of our life. Sometimes we live life in a, in a dark place where we get away from uh, what we're used to or the structures in our life that we had grown accustomed to and maybe taken for granted fall out from under our feet when we lose a loved one or a relationship falls apart or something we thought we could trust in can no longer be trusted in. And you start finding yourself kind of feeling like the cord got cut from the space machine and you're drifting or you're drowning in this big deep abyss like these poor fellows that went down to look at the Titanic. We're not meant to live down there. We can't survive down there. But emotionally speaking, sometimes we take trips, it seems, in places we can't live. This can't last this way. What do you do with mental illness? People who write notes and say, none of this is your fault, but I I just can't take it anymore. What is wrong? Something's off. It desperately needs some order. And then comes along this story that not only did God make it all, but he didn't make it all wonderful just in the tangible world. The big deal is our heart, our spirit. And is, is that well? Is it well with my soul? How do you say that on the ride back? If you know the meaning of the song, without and God said, let there be light. Separate the light from the darkness. I'll call it good. Um, I don't know. We're back to the whole thing, but the question is the same. Which would you rather, a self-existent, cold, hard, dead planet that accidentally spawned what we've got, but there's no creator and there's no rhyme or reason. It happened accidentally. If you're enjoying it, have a ball. If you're not, can't help you. Or would you rather have the story where the first cause is an intelligent being who's loving and kind and wanted to spend all that he had with you? So much that he put himself in the position of taking all of that. What would you call God pouring out his wrath on his son on the cross other than sending him to, I don't know, a place that's without form, void, dark and scary and all those awful things? so that he could give you a new birth, as it's described. The bottom line, you can study what others may say in answering the big question in life, or we could take the Bible's word for it, which teaches that out of the darkened chaos, God sovereignly and majestically created the entire universe in six days, bringing about perfect order and abundant fullness for the people he made to enjoy and to rule over, and then blesses and sanctifies all of it on the seventh day, which marks its completion, and the rest is history. Which story speaks to your soul? And which one would you rather hold tightly to? It's not been but so long that I've started thinking I try to get a little more out of these nice afternoons like the last two. It might shock you to think that, you know, people, you're always saying I'm so young. No, I'm old enough 
to understand by now that I only got a few of those left. So make the best of them because this is all there is? No, make the best of them practicing for what's infinitely better. That's the way I'm looking at life. Because I can smile at that thought. The other is is the cruelest thing I can imagine. Which was it? What, What makes atheists out of Christians? Despair. Maybe you're not reading your Bible right. Or maybe it's something that you can't help. Bodies break down. Brains malfunction. There's this thing called disease that takes us out of this world. Again, God came here to take that on himself. He showed he had power over that too. He healed people, not all of us. I think the point is made, and the thought can now be pondered. But which story do you like better? Both of them require faith. But I'm convinced one of them sounds like it's a message from the designer because it just speaks to something that makes me feel better. I call it a love note. You call it what you want to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Love note, Bible, whatever we want to refer to it as. Lord, if we're fools, if we're wrong, we've got nothing to lose. But, Lord, if we're proud and defiant, we may lose it all. Life, that is, when the time is up. These are big thoughts, Lord, and they hurt our head to think through. But I ask, Lord, that you, as you've done for so many people, Lord, if we ask, if we seek, Lord, you you open, right? So speak to those. Draw them to yourself. Woo them with this story that's unlike any other. And Lord, may it be that we believe that the story is actually true. And may we tell others, especially situations where we can be of help. We thank you for what you did for us. And Lord, we ask that you'll continue to bring us back, if not this place, some other place, but to keep studying, to keep asking questions, uh, to keep thinking with the brain that you gave us. And Lord, we'll thank you for being merciful, wonderful, magnificent, and worthy of all our praise and honor. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.